Hey there, sports fans. Tony here again with the Words and Music of Faith, Hope, and Love podcast, episode 19. And uh, I think I have some pretty interesting stuff for you this week. I'm uh, changing it up a little bit. I'm still writing in um, some articles in the uh, book of 1 Corinthians, or about the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul wrote in the Bible, because uh, I just I just love Paul's writings. Of course, he's writing to write to us, and um, it just is awesome, awesome stuff. But also, I have um, some really cool stuff that I'm uh, sharing with you this week about things that help to invalidate the theory of evolution. Now, I know that's a little more controversial. Well, maybe it's not even more controversial than uh, biblical stuff, but uh, I think it all kind of ties in together because uh, obviously if I'm a Christian and uh, I believe the Word of God in the Bible, I can't I can't justify evolution. But fortunately, I also don't have to just rely on things that um, I don't have any experience with or can't observe because there are plenty of observable things out there to uh, help us to know that the theory of evolution is just that. It's just a theory, and it doesn't hold up well, especially as we get more complex in uh, in our technology and our ability to see inside the, the smallest parts of creation. It's just awesome, and it is creation. Um, so I'm going to start right out with this article on, uh, I just called it, No One Has Broken the Law of Biogenesis. And uh, start out uh, asking you guys, if your uh, wife or girlfriend says she wishes you could be more spontaneous, uh, do you think it's because she wants to live dangerously and break the law of biogenesis? And I can just hear you now. Break the law of biogenesis? What's that got to do with being more spontaneous? Well, actually everything. The law of biogenesis states that life comes only from life. When you say that life emerged from non-living matter, the term for that is spontaneous generation. It's important to understand that spontaneous generation of life has never been observed. And that's why the law of biogenesis is a law of science. No one has broken it, and even evolutionary scientists accept it. They don't want to, but they do. If I could tell you 131 stories that make 131 valid points why the theory of organic evolution is flawed and even invalid, would you even care? I believe most people who hold on to the theory of evolution wouldn't care because of where the opposing view might take them. And you know where that is? A supernatural creator. A supernatural creator. Maybe that's not the reason. Maybe they think their science will back them up, but I've just given you story number one that shows you how, based on scientific observations, life comes only from life. If spontaneous generation gives life to an opposing view, I'd love to hear from you. Or if you have some video proof of life coming from non-living matter, I'll be glad to post it here for everyone to see. Seriously. But here's a suggestion for any science buff. Let your observations take you where they will. 
and don't work them like a Ouija board toward your preconceived bias. My hope is that you'll come to an eternally valuable conclusion. And that conclusion is that you were fearfully and wonderfully made by God. In keeping with that, if you were, I don't know, if you just evolved, if you took on um, characteristics that generations that came before you uh, passed on to you, let's say that your great-great-great-grandfather who had been more into stretching and strength training and maybe even some tattoos. If that was true, do you think that uh, maybe you and your descendants could have long necks, big muscles, and camouflage? I don't think so. Uh, okay, maybe it happened. Maybe it would have happened if you uh, had taken a few more generations, or a few more generations had been involved. Maybe it could have happened then, right? No. Come on, everybody, say it with me. Characteristics gained after birth cannot be inherited. Something that can happen, though, is that stressful environmental conditions for some plants and animals might, and often do trigger their offspring's various natural defenses. They're not creating new genetic traits. It's simply, and I use that word as a figure of speech, the genetic machinery already programmed into them that kicks in. Our modern abilities to look closely and deeply into the structure of DNA have revealed so much more of the marvelous, complex design within a single cell. Scientists are discovering how each creature, big and small, is coded with amazing information. It can adjust to stressful situations like starvation, dehydration, and even a global flood. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist that last one. Now, I know I'm kicking sand in the face of believing that time, the environment, and needs can produce acquired characteristics. But I'm also enthusiastically fanning the flames of beautiful, creative reality. A reality where spectacular and optimum genetic machinery is already programmed into every living thing to meet or exceed its stressful environment. Now this is just one of dozens of reasons why real science, real science, gives me such faith, hope, and love for my Creator. Now, if you truly can't live without long necks, big muscles, and camouflage, I suggest you go buy some beer, pump some iron, and join the Marines. Because that's about the only way you're going to get them. Now, you mind if I give you a compliment? Hope you don't mind if I seem a little forward, but you look good in those jeans. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just an expression that I'm sure you've heard or... If you're a guy, you've said it to your wife or girlfriend when she had on a pair of Levi's or something. But no, these, these jeans I'm talking about are the G-E-N-E-S, not the J-E-A-N-S. So uh, let's, let's take a look at that, okay? Well, let's look at it this way. You sure better look good in those jeans because they're the only ones you're going to get. But don't worry, though. They won't wear out for a long time and... At least not if you take decent care of them, okay? You can thank or blame your parents for the way you look. You received some of your genetic traits from dad and some from mom. And here's a key thing to keep in mind. You didn't receive any traits from any other species that ever lived. Ever. 
One of the ways we know this is often referred to as Mendel's Law of Genetics. It's also sometimes called the Law of Segregation. That has nothing to do with race, racism, or any of that. It's talking about your gene makeup. The science behind it came from a rather obscure man named Johann Mendel. He later became an Augustinian monk and was given the name Gregor. And Gregor showed how important even little peas can be. When Mendel was a boy, he learned the art of grafting by working in the orchards of his father's landlord. And grafting, for those of you who uh, maybe didn't muscle up on uh, botany, is where they take uh, plants and they, uh, you know, like a certain kind of a uh, fruit tree, and they graft in another piece of another fruit tree to see what they can come up with. Sometimes uh, sometimes it's good stuff they come up with, and sometimes uh, the results aren't so great. But uh, Mendel learned this uh, working with his father in their landlord's orchards. And this knowledge, it served him well and got him through most of his education. However, when it seemed he wouldn't be able to continue, his physics teacher recommended he enter the monastery. And that's where he'd be able to finish his studies. While he was there, between 1856 and 1863, Gregor cultivated around 29,000 pea plants and discovered that different combinations of genes can be formed through the generations, but new genes are never formed. In other words, he could graft any pea genes any he wanted in any way that he wanted and never get corn or beans. Why is this important? Well, as a Christian, I can see how it confirms the many verses in the Bible where God says, according to its kind. Like he was telling, uh, when he was talking about uh, creation, he talked about things would um, procreate after its kind or according to its kind. God's amazing creativity provides a huge capacity for variation within each species but he gave each species its own genetic code. So, a duck will never be a deer, a bug will never be a bird, and a monkey will never be a man, even if some man monkeys around with genetics. Okay, I get it. If Christians are wrong about what God said, or the fact that God even exists, this is a moot point. But if we're not, hmm... If we're not. You know, um, getting back to 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul talked about liberty a lot. And uh, it really is synonymous with grace when you read through his writings. And liberty comes to us directly from God. He gives us such liberty. And liberty can also be synonymous with freedom. And he gives us freedom. And so I wrote that liberty, according to my judgment, is found throughout Paul's writings in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 through 40, it's easy to see how Paul is confidently uh, conveying liberty to his readers. It's a passage directed at widows and orphans, according to the New King James Version of the Bible. And it's easy to see how we're not commanded to marry. We're also not commanded to remain single. Advised, maybe, but not commanded. Uh, Paul instructed the Corinthians on 
how for many, marriage is a necessity. He knew that men have a difficult time controlling themselves, and left to their own, they, quote, will have trouble in the flesh, unquote. He wanted to spare them that trouble. Paul also knew that to marry would bring its own kind of trouble, what he called care. He said, I want you to be without care. Because he knew when a man or woman is married, care for a spouse is necessary. But he who is, and this is quoting, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. So, you know, if you're not married, you can pay more attention to those things of the Lord. Well, all through these verses in 1 Corinthians 7, 25-40, there is great liberty, according to my judgment, as to how men and women can go about their lives. I believe Paul points out that we need to do our best to focus on the Lord, regardless of our married status. He even talks about how a woman can remarry if her husband dies. He recommends she serves the Lord instead, but she's certainly not sinning to remarry. Well, this liberty should stir up your faith, hope, and love for God. He's not the mean, cosmic killjoy you may think he is. He wants you to have life and have it abundantly, eternally full of health and happiness. And you know, having health a lot of times requires keeping bacteria in control. Now, how, does, how is that a segue? Well, it is. It, it's a segue. My next article for the week was called Bacteria and Evolution Are Not Best Friends. Okay, this is getting back to science again. And um, I talk about how bacteria and evolution, they don't get along so well together. In fact, bacteria just refuses to play games by evolution's rules. Um, evolution appears to be a bit schizophrenic when it comes to which organism will evolve the most. Let's say that we'll call him IR bacterium. Most bacteria self-replicate, so we're just going to say he's one, okay? Say he is fruitful and multiplies at an amazing rate of, oh, about a million in only seven hours. Wow. Now that's a lot of room for variation and mutation. Humans, on the other hand, have a very long reproduction rate and only a few offspring. Yet, if evolution is to be believed, natural selection would have many more beneficial mutations to choose from in bacteria. So, why isn't bacteria much more evolved? And what about Mr. M.E. Microbe? He started colonies in almost every environment on Earth, and the number of microbes is so ginormous, they don't even bother to publish their addresses anymore. But even with the amazing amount of microbes in their family tree, the number of different ones is not so large. They just don't appear to have any evolving features. Odd, isn't it? Now, these examples are what scientists call broad experimental verifications. Thanks to extremely powerful microscopes and technology, they don't have to guess whether or not a rapidly reproducing species will produce a wide variety of variations and beneficial mutations. They can simply observe them in action. According to the Cornell University Department of Microbiology, most bacteria reproduce through a process called binary fission. They say how, quote, 
conceptually, this is a simple process. But then they go on to say how in order, quote, to remain viable and competitive, a bacterium must divide at the right time, in the right place, and must provide each offspring with a complete copy of its essential genetic material. Get that? You know, essential genetic material implies that what's there needs to be there in order to exist. Guess what? Even in that microscopic world, it's all essential. And in order for a bacterium to provide each offspring what it needs to exist, there has to be a complex code of information. And that leads me to the conclusion I first reached when I was only 13. God is the ultimate coder, and I trust Him with my information. And that brings me to my final article for the past week, uh, right back to Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians, talking about love and liberty. And, you know, I mentioned that before, liberty, um, according to my judgment, is synonymous with love. Um... And I'm basing this again on 1 Corinthians 7, 25-40, and now Corinthians 8, um, the, whole, the whole verse there, a uh, whole chapter, excuse me. As a Christian, God gives me great liberty. Another word for it is grace. He allows me to make my own choices, have my own successes or failures, and even eat food that might have been sacrificed to idols. I know that's an old-fashioned sounding phrase, but you might be surprised at how much food, especially meat, is still sacrificed to idols, even in this so-called modern age. More important than liberty, though, is love. And through Paul, God tells us we're supposed to use and practice our liberty wisely. We do that with love. For example, there are some Christians who might be weak in the area of meat sacrificed to idols. They might stumble in their Christian faith if they see a brother or sister eat the food they thought was for false gods and idols. They might even find doubt in the promises of the one true God. So Paul urges us to consider them. He doesn't say not to eat meat that came from unbelievers. He just, he just says we ought to be aware of what we do while in view of believers who don't fully comprehend their liberty. While it isn't always possible to know who's weak and who isn't, it's important to express equal shares of love and liberty to others. Well, I hope that um, some of these things help you to see uh, a little more deeply into how we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and I hope it gives you confidence to go out there knowing that your Christian faith is backed up by science and evidence. We don't have to just have a blind faith like evolutionists do. And if you are an evolutionist, I urge you to change your mind, okay? You change your mind, change your heart, change your eternal location. It can happen. It can happen even to you, I promise. God loves you. I love you. And until next time, God bless.